Good morning. So were there, were there, was there homecoming this weekend? Was it one school, two schools? How many schools had homecoming? Belton and was it CTCS as well or is that my imagination? Is that why everyone's tired? Is there dance? Do y'all do dances still for homecoming? Yeah, we did. Uh, we were out late last night. All right. Um, well, welcome. Glad that you guys can make it. Uh, so we're continuing this uh, series on relationships, and um, this is week six, and uh, we have a way that you guys can ask questions. I, I look back in some of the, the old notes from four years ago, and um, I think it took like, it was like 12 weeks in was when I got my first question from a high school student. I've had two so far, and so if you guys don't ask any questions, we're going to have to like make up some questions that we think you might have, and uh, so we'll do like a Q&A panel at the end. Um, toward the end, though, the last time we did this, they did come around. They, fi- they finally thought of some questions. But um, if you have questions you want to ask, please fill out a card at the back, drop it in the basket on that back table. And we, we're picking those up weekly and just making sure we stay on top of that. Now, I know I've been saying throughout the series that um, I've said from the very beginning, if, if you ask me the question, like, should a high school student or a junior high student date in high school, I say no most of the time, and I say most because I don't want to be legalistic about it and create some hard and fast rule, but I just say that it's, it's wise to do it the right way, and most students I know, because I was one of those, don't do it the right way, and so that's why I say no most of the time. And then here's what's really funny, is I go and I do someone's wedding this past Friday, and the couple I'm doing the wedding for they dated in high school, all right? So there you have it. And then there's another couple at the wedding. They're now married, and they dated in high school. So um, listen, I'm not saying this is a hard and fast rule, um, but as long as you do it the right way is what we're talking about in this series. Now, last week, Megan talked about how marriage gives us this picture of Christ's relationship to the church. And today we're talking about what our pursuit should be when you're in a dating relationship or a marriage relationship. In other words, what is the mission of marriage? What is that? Uh, Ben Stewart, he says this in his book that we're covering right now. We are not not meant simply to stare into each other's eyes. We are meant to link arms and run together after a common mission. So many people in a relationship they think that the relationship itself is the whole point. They believe once they, they find that person, once they marry that person, that is the end. They have reached their goal, and that's just simply not the case. Mar- marriage isn't the mission, but you should be a marriage on a mission together in that relationship. So for some people, their whole life centers on just getting married, finding this person, and that's it. But if marriage is your mission, if marriage is your mission, your marriage your marriage will not be what God intended it to be. If marriage is the whole point for you, then it's not going to, once you find that person, it's actually not going to be what God intends for it to be. So today we're talking about uh, the mission of marriage. We're going to go, I have two points mainly. Like One is inward and one is outward. So the mission of marriage is inward but also outward. We'll cover inward first. We're talking about your spiritual growth, your sanctification, um, as we discuss what it means to have this inward mission of marriage. So we talk about community a lot here at TBC, and we believe that every believer should have close friendships that help them grow spiritually. 
And if that is true of friendship, then how much more should it be true in a marriage relationship? Yes, you guys look very angelic right now, uh, Gino and, and Luke over there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, we, have, we have spotlights on them for some reason. And over here, too, I, I don't know if you guys, did you guys sin this week? Is that what happened? Is that what happened this week? Okay. Um, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Caleb says he can't turn them off unless he reboots the computer. And I just think it's funny, so I say leave it on them, you know. Give them a tan. It'll work out really well. Um, but it is funny, though. I, you guys picked the right seat. Um, you guys win something today. I don't know what. We'll think of something. Um, back to my, <laughs> how do we get off on that? All right, so uh, we talk about community a lot here. Uh, the problem is that most of us don't see friendship as having that purpose in our lives. So we definitely don't see dating relationships or marriage as having that shaping purpose in our lives. Many of us, we want our friendships to be pretty easy, Right? Friendship should be like the easiest relationship that we can imagine. That's not really biblical friendship, though. God, God has you as, as part of Christ-centered friendships to shape you and to grow you, and they should be people that are willing to, like, get in your face about things and, and vice versa. And if that's true of friendship, then how much more true should it be of a marriage relationship? At the heart of any marriage, there should be a deep friendship. You know, most people see romantic relationships this way. Next slide. Most see romantic relationships as a romantic foundation with a little bit of friendship sprinkled on top. That's how most view it. But that's not really the way it should be. Um, it should really look more like this next slide in reverse, where there's a foundation of friendship with, of course, romance, but the foundation should really be friendship. I know I've shared a lot about my own story with you guys over the series, but I can think back on certain relationships where, yeah, there was an attraction, but it was like, because there was this attraction, I was trying to convince myself there was a real solid friendship when there really wasn't. And I was trying to convince myself of this fact, and if I was really honest with myself, I would say, no, it's, it's not, there's an attraction, but there's not this, like, strong friendship with this person. I'm trying to create it because that's what I want, but it's not, it's not natural. It's not really there. Now, now, Courtney, it was a whole different story. I mean, I, that's, I can go on and on about that. But it was a strong friendship from the very beginning. And um, this is what everyone's supposed to say. Oh, that's really sweet that you said that about your wife. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it was, but that was there. It was very obvious. And, and even now we, we grow deep in our friendship as well. Uh, the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 5, says, this is my lover, this is my friend. And so there's this combination of, yeah, there's romance, but there's a strong friendship in this relationship. Many people, especially when they are young, think all they need is this physical attraction to make this work. Many think that. But listen, you're going to spend a lot of time together and have to have conversations and talks I think I heard a guy say, oh, no. <clears throat> so I'll be really blunt with you today. Some of us don't know how to have conversations with people. When we come here on Sundays or Wednesdays, instead of practicing how to have conversations, we are consumed with 
oftentimes technology when we walk in this building, um, or our conversations consist of whatever is on your device. I see that a lot. And listen, I want to encourage you, and I, I may, I'm thinking about this. I'm not going to say, I don't want to make you mad, but I'll think about it. I may have something on Wednesday for you. We'll see. But when you show up here, here are some great habits for you to get, for you to practice when you come here. Put your phone in your pocket or in your purse, whatever you have, just put it away. And look people in the eye when you talk to them. Be curious. Ask questions. Answer their questions. When someone throws the ball to you, you throw it back to them. That's how conversation works. Okay? This, these are things you have to learn if you're going to practice friendship. You practice friendship with the people that you know right now so that whenever you enter into a dating or a marriage relationship, it can really be a friendship. And many of the skills you're going to learn, like in your actual friendships right now, will be the exact same things that you have to do in that future marriage relationship. Carry on a conversation. Like show empathy, those kinds of things. Back in the summertime, we did a series on, we did a series, we did a talk on friendship. And we, we covered these four marks of friendship. I'm going to cover them real quickly with you. Here are the marks of friendship. First is affection. This is like you like being around each other. And conversation is natural. It's not forced. Second is constancy. This is a friend loves at all times. A friend is consistent. A friend is there even during difficulty, during adversity. Thirdly is transparency. This person can be open about their struggles, open about emotions, open about their sin struggles. This is transparency. And then fourthly, there's empathy. This is feeling what someone else feels. Being able to step into someone else's shoes, someone else's shoes. Being able to see what they see. And this is, some call this emotional intelligence. And listen, if you don't have emotional intelligence, you will struggle in relationships. Or you'll just find someone who's equally, equally lacks it as you do, and you'll be somehow happy together, I guess. I don't know. But um, these are important things in building friendships, and it's the mark of friendship, but it's also going to serve you well when you get into a marriage relationship. Last week, Megan shared a passage from Ephesians as she talked about God using marriage that gives us this picture of Christ's relationship to the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to give you the second half of that passage here. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So marriage is this picture of Christ's relationship to the church, but we also see what we're supposed to pursue in marriage, which is sanctification. Look at what it says here. It says the husband is supposed to love her in such a way that she might be sanctified that she might grow as a result. So the husband is supposed to love his wife in such a way that it's going to aid her growth and, and, and help her flourish spiritually. So there, there's the picture, but there's also this thing you're supposed to be pursuing in the marriage relationship, which is sanctification and, and spiritual growth. So whenever Ephesians talks about the, the male role in the marriage relationship, if there's any guy that thinks that, oh, this means I get to be the boss, like, you are sadly mistaken. 
about what that means. Your spiritual role of leadership is really a spiritual responsibility to your family and to your wife to make sure they're flourishing spiritually and being sanctified and growing in Christ. And that's what this is talking about here. You might say it like this, the purpose of marriage is to make God known and to make you holy. Those are the two purposes of marriage, to make God known and to make you holy. You know, I, many years ago, I'll be honest, my parents are both believers, I I think, I, I believe that they both are, and been married since like, I think, 1970 or 71, I forget which year it is, but, um, Married a long time. Uh, celebrated their 50th anniversary this past December. And, uh, and I know that there is some love between them, but they have a difficult relationship, and they always have. And I think there are many people that would, wouldn't have survived, wouldn't have stuck around in that marriage relationship. Now, my dad, he was never abusive. N- no one ever cheated, nothing like that. But it's just been a very contentious difficult, kind of unhealthy relationship that I've witnessed most of my life. And there was a time when I would kind of get this passion about these things, and I would, you know, kind of confront my dad on some things that he was doing or not doing as as a father and a husband, and I would confront him on these things. And there was a time when he said to me, he said, you know, I, I just think I probably shouldn't have ever gotten married. Now, he's saying that because I think he feels like he doesn't measure up. There's a lot of shame in his life. He feels like he's not, like, worthy. He, he just can't do it right. You know, he's always doing something wrong. And, and I understand that mindset. But he has this, 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 I think, this idea in his head, and I think he's had it since he got married, that it's just supposed to be easy. And it's supposed to be not any work. And if it requires work, then it's just not meant to be. And I think he misses, I think many people miss this idea that marriage is meant to make you holy and sanctified. And so when you're in that relationship and things start to kind of, you know, like iron sharpening iron, that's some friction, that's some sparks flying, and that's difficulty. When those things happen, some people just want to bail. Now, they might not get divorced but many people bail emotionally, spiritually, and they just check out because, you know, I, I, I didn't sign up for this. And I would say, no, if, if you want to have a godly marriage, you did sign up for that. You did sign up for that. To be sanctified and to be made into Christ's likeness. And there is no tool that God will use in your life like a marriage relationship. One of the things I always say in in any wedding I do, I give this analogy of imagine an old bridge that goes over a stream and the bridge has hairline fractures that are hard to see with the naked eye. Now what if we drove a heavy truck across that bridge and and the bridge begins to bow and flex? The weight of that truck opens up the cracks and now they're visible, now you can see them. And suddenly we see the flaws. Now, did the truck create the flaws? No, it just revealed them. And that's what marriage does. It doesn't create weakness. 
It just reveals weaknesses in us. But the good news, this is not a bad thing because you get to grow. You get to lean on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. You get to see your need like every day, every month, every week, and how uh, inadequate you are, how much you need the grace and mercy of Jesus. So God wants to do this inward work in you so that you can live outward and on mission. And so now we have outward. We see an amazing example of this in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 18, we meet this couple over in Acts 18 named Priscilla and Aquila. I always wonder if they got married because their names rhymed, you know. Like, is that why? What brought you guys together? But we have Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18. And they never wrote any Bible. They never were some, like, big couple speaking around the, the area. It wasn't like that. But Paul had just left Athens, and he'd gone to Corinth. In Acts 18, he meets this couple, Acts 18, verses 1 and 2, where it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now stop right there. Do you realize what I just read? So this couple, they're in Corinth because they were kicked out of Rome, because the emperor expelled every Jewish believer to leave Rome. They had to leave the, the place they were from. So they arrive over in Corinth, and instead of them, you know, sulking or complaining, they get to work. They, they start this tent-making business over in Corinth. And, and Paul is in the same trade. So Paul hears about this couple and knows they're believers as well. He goes to them to see them. Now don't miss this. They came to Corinth because of religious persecution, and now Paul, the person who used to be the religious persecutor before he was a Christian, who's now preaching the gospel, Paul's coming to see them. So how are they going to respond to Paul's approach? Verse 2. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and, Jews and Greeks. Even though they've already been persecuted for what they believe, they have this guy who gets a lot of attention from people, and a guy who's kind of controversial. They have this guy, Paul, coming to, to see them, and they allow him to move in with them. And their home becomes this place of ministry for the next year and a half. They let their home be like a ministry base in that region. So I want to show you three marks of a missional marriage. The first is hospitality, hospitable. So Priscilla and Aquila, they move to Corinth because of persecution, but they don't stay isolated, focusing on the, they, they don't think like we're going to go to this place and we want to stay, you know, below the radar and not create any, any, any um, bad circumstances for us. So let's just kind of go underground. And that's not what they do. They decide to use their gifts and resources to live on mission. And they didn't write any books of the Bible. They weren't great preachers. But they allowed their everyday places, their everyday lives, to be places of ministry. And what's interesting 
is that when I think of a couple like that, I think of Gino and Patty. That's why you're in the spotlight this morning, maybe. <laughs> but I mean, a couple that serves in this, in this way, I think, of, I think of those two. I also think of people like my youth pastor who served just four years at my church when I was a freshman till the time I was a senior. And I've mentioned this story before, but he was kind of fired under some bad circ. It wasn't his fault. He just, it was a bad church situation. And even after he was let go from our church, he continued ministering, having us into his house, taking us even on a mission trip, which was the very trip that led me to come to Texas and totally shifted my whole life focus. And so I'm so grateful for people like that who even in tough circumstances, they still decide to be hosp- hospitable and give it themselves in these ways. The next idea is available. Later in Acts chapter 18, Paul goes to Ephesus and he's with, uh, he goes to Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila. So now, now they're traveling with him. And then Paul needs to go back to Antioch. So while he goes to Antioch, they stay there in Ephesus. And while there, they hear this amazing preacher named Apollos, who was a believer. But his theology is like a little bit off. But instead of publicly shaming Apollos, they go and they approach him. They, they take him aside they, and they correct him in his thinking, in his theology. They didn't wait for Paul to show up. They weren't like, we're not, we're not really the preachers here. We probably shouldn't get involved here. That's not how they approached it. They thought, listen, we need to talk to this guy. He's a, he's a talented guy. He's a godly man. Let's talk with him and help him understand the true gospel. And that's what they did. And so they chose to be part of the solution. They're available for ministry. Later we see that Apollos goes on to have this amazing ministry on the level of Paul and Peter because of their availability to minister to him. And then thirdly, faithful. We don't hear about this couple again in Acts. But at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions this couple, and he says a church is meeting in their house. I don't know if you realize how many years pass by when you're reading certain parts of the Bible, but there's a lot of years in there that you and I don't think about. So about 10 years later, Paul writes his last letter, 2 Timothy, from prison in Rome. He knows he's going to die for his faith, and at this point, Priscilla and Aquila are now serving alongside this man named Timothy, who Paul mentored. This was a faithful couple. So they went from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus, back to Rome, and then back to Ephesus. But they never changed their mission. They never changed their mission. Ben Stewart writes, Marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church, and marriage is a pursuit of Christ's purposes on earth. You know, many people think they're going to get bored in marriage. They think, how, how can you be with someone for the rest of your life and not get bored? And I guess I understand that thought to an extent. But listen, if you choose to dedicate that relationship to living on mission together, you will never get bored in that relationship. Because you are living with another purpose in mind. 
And I'm not just saying that just to, you know, you know keep it interesting by, by living on mission. I'm not saying that that way. But that's how you should live if you're a single person. And so if God gives you someone in a marriage relationship eventually, this is also how you should live. And that, if that's how you choose to live, you will never get bored in that relationship because you're living on mission together. You will not have this kind of marriage unless you are living this way as a single person. So be willing to experience inward change so you can live outward and on mission and look for someone else who's living the same way. Tim, Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, he writes this. Within this Christian vision for marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and, and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. And so we're going to go ahead and head to our 